Previously on Story Logical. <laughs> Stand back, everyone. Nothing here to see. Just imminent danger in the middle of it. Me. <laughs> yes, Captain Hammer's here. Hair time. Blowing in the breeze. I can't decide if I want to talk more about my saving expertise. <laughs> A man's got it. <clears throat> um, let me find the right thing. This is Story Logical. A podcast about amazing stories. That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerood. And I'm E.G. Kosh. My pick this week is Slipping by Lauren Bukes, which was in Berlin Quarterly. And it's a story about Pearl, who is a, a human girl who has a lot of augmentation. She has neurocircuitry, bio-augmentation, uh, nanobots in her blood, and a removable stomach, along with plenty of other weirdness. Um... We open on her arriving in Karachi for a race against other girls who are also augmented in a whole variety of ways. And these races and racers are an entire industry, kind of like boxing or fighting, wrestling, that are, have been set up uh, to, in order to demonstrate the kind of the power of the augmentation and sponsored by pharmaceutical companies, sponsored by medical companies and militia, com militia, no, military companies. Like when we think of boxers in the ring, they, they may have sponsors, but they're not like a racing car that has sponsors on their body. Mm -hmm. And I love, I mean, love, fear, slash, assume we will eventually reach this future where it's not just that you know the the pearl is sponsored like you know she she's wearing you know the cool vest that the company gave her but it's it's that she is herself an advertisement for the technology mm. that is inside her with the hope that if she does well in the race then other people will buy this technology yeah to put in their soldiers or their or in their research patents she is a sponsored advertisement yeah it's just amazing to be a sponsored advertisement <laughs> is that is that not a tautology no it's too much well it is a tautology that is i i think part of where the reference to tautology comes these repetitions of things that people are paying her to put things inside of her with the hope that other people will pay the people that paid to put things inside of her to then remove those things not really remove those things probably anyway you know how it goes you know you know yeah. Ladies got stuff in them. People take it out. People put it in. People take it out. People that put is, it in. <laughs> that is a good the segue woman's, into woman's the thing. woman's body is just there for men to tinker with and hopefully then sell on the market. Yeah. And it is all kind of like brought to clarity in one sentence where as she's preparing for the race, her promoter, not her doctor, no, but her promoter undoes the Velcro flap of her stomach and then reaches inside to replace the, the stomach bag with some kind of bio plug which contains nutrients for her race. And the way she describes it is that, oh, let me, Thomas Love says, kneeling between her legs. She holds her flesh open while he reaches one hand up inside her abdomen. I'm like, oh, oh, it's so violating and visceral and nasty. You can't help just feeling awful for this girl who finds herself in that kind of in that situation where where she's made complicit in this violation yes though i feel much less awful because she is complicit i feel like this is a girl that we understand from the story that was born angry that was born for whatever reason with a distaste for 
for other people's fear. I say whatever reason, probably because she was full of fear and, and loathing. And so hated when people looked at her with loathing or hated the people that looked at her with fear. Right. Because one of my, my favorite things about the character, <laughs> she tells her mom that she raced a train because somebody bet her. <laughs> but she didn't. She raced the train because she wanted to. Alas, the train won, which is how she ended up with no uh, Arms and legs. legs. So, wow, yeah, it's, it's, it's sickening in a way that she seems to be a part of this. What, what, makes the story, what makes the story for me is the line that is walked, where on the one hand, we have her after she's been injured, where her mom tries to put perfume on the stump so that they smell better. And she's like, no, I do not want that perfume. And then when people avert their eyes from her, she hates it. She's like, no, mm. look at me. Um, there, there's, there's this kind of anger uh, demonstrated in this fantastic dream where she and Jesus and her promoter are looking over the sand and there's only <laughs> one set of footprints. And <laughs> Jesus is like, do you see how there's only one set of footprints? And the promoter in the dream is like, is that because you took her fucking legs, Lord? <laughs> yeah. And and that's you know that's great that's like this fire in the character but then like the the other side of the line is that she seems either delusional or not caring about how the people are using her and about yeah. how she is more or less a, become a product for these other humans. Yeah, she is clearly conflicted about it, and I think all you said about the story walking a line is is very true. Like it is presented as a complex situation. She was horrifically injured these people the beloved one some strange and mystical leader offered her a way out with through all the augmentation it's like what is that society's major malfunction that <laughs> it now has a beloved one yeah i don't know and then and you know she gets she is receiving a huge payout that is going to enable her to change not just her own life but the lives of her entire family as long as she wins as long as she wins and so you can kind of see, you can see all the sides. I, I love the, the heartbreak of her talking to her mom from the arena and her mom seeing the vest that is the sponsor's vest that she's wearing and ask, telling, telling her daughter, I'm pretty sure that color doesn't work for you. And, and you, you know the sublimated feelings of her mom probably being like, I'm kind of questioning all of the choices that brought us <laughs> to this moment, but I'm yeah. what I'm, what I'm going to focus on. I don't think you're a winter, honey. I think yeah. that color doesn't match the complexion. The story for me is made not just by the complexity and the nuance that is presented, but by a scene in between the two races that are run where uh, she talks to one of her competitors. They both can't sleep the night before the race and they bump into each other outside by an old abandoned swimming pool and they have this bitter kind of rivalry between them but also the most human moment that I think either of them probably ever experienced in their lives right they both really see each other yeah they yep. both respond exactly to each other as human beings rather right. than as products yeah yeah, yeah 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 exactly the opposite of what's been going on where she's mentioning uh from the very beginning of the story mentioning how where she's from the uh, south africa uh cape town they've tried to teach people to refer to whites as peach mm -hmm. and black people as brown as they're changing the words they call each other and the promoters yeah everyone's talking 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 to her and not saying anything mm. yeah and the, and the the rival that she talks to is in some ways, you know, is described as being the opposite of her. So uh, Pearl is half a girl who's 
been added to with augmentation. And Saskia or Saska is two girls. You know, one is the physical body and the other is a quadriplegic who is controlling her from a bed. Right. The, the physical body being, so far as we understand, dead. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully uh, under natural uh, causes. You know, though, granted, she's a young girl, so you presume it wasn't, you know, old age that, that took her out. Yeah, maybe she was also trying to race a train. I don't know. It's a pandemic of train <laughs> races. Yeah, yeah. Imagine at some point you don't donate your body to, you know, allow people to harvest organs. You donate your body so that other people who have lost their bodies can then use your dead loved one's body to walk around in. Mm-hmm. Why did I just name a future? <laughs> That's a real thing. You better start thinking about it. Mm-mm. That scene in so many ways makes the story because it is the, it is shakes pearls foundations Mm -hmm. it is the moment where she makes connection to another human being another racer that racer telling telling her things that she already knows like she's telling pearl you're just a product she's telling pearl that warm feeling in your chest that you think of as god god doesn't exist it's nothing it's basically the same as the way you feel your legs those legs aren't there anymore if they were ever there to begin with illusion um god he ain't nothing but trouble i love that line and reading that, it made me think there's a Radiohead song called There, There, where there's a refrain in the song where Tom York is saying, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there. And what I love about this character, what I love about the turn the story takes is that, well, it's my favorite thing in the world, which is basically everything you believe in doesn't exist. And then character at the end of the story is like, fuck it, whatever, I still feel it. I'm going to run my stuff yeah. because what else am I going to do? Also, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there. Just because it's not there doesn't mean it's not worth believing in. If it gets you up off of the ground and running, that's great. Now, sure, you're running into possibly a future where you will forever be owned by a corporation who uses your body as a kind of uh, demo. Yeah. But at least you're running. Petri dish. At least you're running faster than that train. I don't know where this voice is coming from, but I like it. <laughs> it's, I like it's it. Almost it's almost got a cracker barrel on us. Yeah, that, that future where, where she will be nothing but a product controlled. I thought about that. The way she is described as somebody who has fire by the beloved one and... Um, I think it's mentioned again at other points in the story. And I thought about how, how the, all the men around her are like people trying to control the fire and kind of poking her and prodding her with sticks and stoking her up and tamping her down. And, yeah, yeah, they're and how, trying to put her in an oven, <laughs> cook their food. And how, yeah, how dangerous fire is when it's con- either when it's uncontrolled or just in general yeah how dangerous fire is i don't know where i'm going with that but i thought uh, it was you're going somewhere weird is well i feel like to me you can read the story and feel a little bit worried that that it just feels icky all mm. of the things that are being done to her and that her kick and her fire is there to kind of soothe the pain of that but that's all nonsense because Again, of all of the, the complications we've talked about, the, the story is walking these amazing lines. Mm. But it is true that it also makes it more enjoyable that when I get enjoyable and horrible, that's all I really want for a story. It makes it more enjoyable and horrible thinking that she is a conscious human being. She is awake to what's going on. And so that means she both has the chance after this story to make different choices or she will make the same choices even knowing what it means. Yeah. You know what else I thought of? What other story I thought of? Which I haven't seen in such a long time that I couldn't remember the details of. I, it was one of the Universal Soldier films where the soldiers are... I'm not familiar with that. Dolph Lundgren and John claude Van Damme 
fighting it out as bio augmented humans i think i don't remember the details but essentially it ends with them staggering around yeah I think one of them stabbed another one with either poison or something. Yeah, yeah. That's also one of the dangers when you have superhumans, you get to have super violence. Right, exactly. And this is and that's how this ends, although not in seemingly a direct act of violence, although maybe, you know, it's not clear whether the trip oh, I'm in pretty, the race Yeah, it was pretty clear to me that that lady with that tail she did it on trip, purpose. Trip some yeah, other she people. should be looking after her tail. Oh yeah, like in that that she was in a photo spread, you know, <laughs> where she was using that tail to cover her her naughty bits. Um and so it, it, <laughs> the race collapses into this sort of violent, crushing... Everything kind of takes a slip and a tumble. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get up out of the carnage and she staggers toward the finish line. Yeah. And it reminded me of that Universal Soldier where they, they just through everything <laughs> i don't want yeah. to diminish the power of the story because i feel like the story it's is fair. Fair. quite significantly better yeah i don't think you can really diminish anything by bringing van damme into it look at sensei bam really they they have van damme in that well they, they the the guy that is in nairobi drives the van oh, around yes, and they I call the van van damme <laughs> yeah Oh man! Of he does. And oh my God, that moment—that moment because in Sensei they can switch bodies around, and Bei Duna's character is a total—you know—she's got the kind of some kind of kung fu martial arts stuff, whatever, because she's Korean, and you know they know the stuff. <laughs> whatever. Um, oh man, there he is, this guy that worships Van Damme, but he knows nothing. But she comes in, man, and he's like, pew, 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 pew. really occupies his body and, and does all the uh, amazing. Oh, uh, Sensei's got got so much. My pick for this week is the infamous Bingo Ming. Bingo? Bingo? I would say Bengal. All right. The infamous Bengal Ming, a uh, story written by uh, Rajesh Paramaswaran. It was in a special issue of Granta, subtitle Horror, from, I believe, a few years ago. Uh, it is the story of a Bengal tiger who is in a zoo who wakes up one Wednesday morning and is like, man, this, this is going to be a different day. I just know it. I feel it in the air. Also, it's beautiful. In his bones. So this tiger has realized a few things. Uh, There's this one tiger that he used to be involved with that's now sleeping with another tiger. And what he's realized this morning, he's over that. That's fine. And who he actually loves now is the keeper, the human, that comes in and gives him food and is always very nice to him. That's where I first felt a weird, unsettling, (laughs) creeping kind of horror kind of thing. It's like, oh, this is bestiality but from the other viewpoint and and where is he going with this what does it mean that he's in love with a keeper just by having the point of view in the tiger and having the tiger express what seems like such an innocent clearly somewhat delusional in his expectations of what might be returned to him love for this human you already feel a little sinking feeling in your (laughs) gut you know where god or your your nanobot lives you know pumping in the blood getting your adrenaline ready for i'm gonna need to bolt from this story i think at some point it's gonna uh and you know just spoiler warning the story goes there the story does does not not go there It, it goes all the way more or less what happens is the tiger loves his keeper keeper comes to visit him one day alas horrible things happen accidentally kills the guy that he loves oops uh you know love and and from that moment where he kills the keeper that he has expressed this love for and he he ends up escaping from the zoo and we are witness to event after event of 
of two things kind of happening. The tiger, to an extent, lying to himself about his own nature, because, for example, when he tasted the keeper's blood, he was like, oh, that's delicious. And he was like, nope, not going there. I'm not going to drink the blood of this human. That's fine. Uh, and then there's another moment where uh, he says to himself, I did not think about eating that baby. And then, you know, a few lines later, okay, I just thought about it once. Uh, so that's going on. And then the other thing is going on is a genuine inability of the tiger to communicate to the humans around him about his feelings and desires, uh, which only compounds the tragedy and hopefully compounds our empathy and desire for this creature to make good, which makes the ultimate horror of the story all the better. And what added to that for me is I listened to the version on the website and it's read by uh, Will Harrison Wallace and it's read in a voice that just kind of bounds along with this childlike enthusiasm <laughs> that, that when I read it afterwards absolutely jumps off the page and I could see why he made that choice. But it is all the more horrifying for all the murders that the tiger commits because he's like, oopsie, and then and then I tried to dip the baby's face in the water, <laughs> but it didn't want to drink. And so I just put its head gently in my mouth. Oh, that's going to go well. So it reminded me a lot. Uh, last night, Emma and I watched a fantastic episode of BoJack Horseman where BoJack, who is a horse, goes underwater for the premiere of his film Secretariat. And while underwater, he's wearing, you know, one of those bubbly glass things you see in films, probably has a name, helmet. Diving bell helmet Diving thing? bell helmet uh, that allows him to breathe. And the whole time, yeah, all of the fish around him are speaking a language that he can't speak. And so far as he knows, he can't speak through the bubbly thing. And the whole episode is just event after event where he can't communicate. He does manage to not kill quite so many people as the tiger. But yeah, it is that same yeah. terrible empathy that you feel as he stumbles through uh, trying to interact with people and trying to convey his sorrow and his hurt. But the, the story, the, the infamous Bengal Ming, reminded me of a lot was Kafka's The Metamorphosis, where a guy wakes up as a bug. And what I love is that this story captures for us what that story did. It, it helps us to be placed into a character and experience how it would feel to live your life where all the other humans around you refuse to treat you as a human being, refuse mm. to treat you as somebody that could in any way be good or worthwhile. Yeah. And I love, like you say, that the, the boundless kind of optimism and naivete, the kind of childish voice of the tiger kind of short circuits some of what you might feel if you read Kafka's story where you're like, oh, this guy seems like a horrible human being. Um, but also it's sad. Whereas in this story, like, oh, but this is like a little kid who also is a tiger um, who accidentally kills a bunch of people. But it seems like they have good intentions, but they don't know what to do with them. It builds the that kind of emotional conflict in me, which which is where real horror comes from. Because I am disgusted and upset and sad about what this tiger is doing murdering people but also i'm in his head and i'm empathizing with him and i'm really feeling his pain and his desperation to to try to connect with the humans 
around him, and it's horrifying. It goes back all the way to when we started this podcast, and we talked about、uh, Sam J. Miller's story and Alyssa Wong's stories about the power of writing your horror where the monster is not the other; the monster、mm-hmm. is you.、Mm-hmm. And yeah, in this story, we are the monster, and the monster. Is anger and it's shame and it's embarrassment. It's the satisfaction we feel sometimes in hurting the person we love because the person we love embarrassed us or didn't return the love we wanted. It's, it's that like the horror is in hurting the person who makes us feel weak and defending ourselves by attacking other people. All those times we've been clumsy, or thoughtless, or not understood what we're doing. Yeah, how it impacts on other people. Yes, yeah, and so you know, we we love stories that complicate things. And there's a moment in this story where the tiger, after he, yeah, he's done a lot of bumbling and murdering, <laughs>、uh, where he says, "Bumble and murder." Wait a minute, am I evil? You know, and then he bumbles on and continues. He doesn't stay there very long. But it's a wonderful feeling that this story sits with you and that and that question、uh, for a minute to think about. All the horrible things that exist. I don't. I don't know where to go with that, but I love it. It's right there. Is this character evil? What do you think? <laughs> I think yeah. At the end, he kind of makes the decision that he enjoys the murder, and, and he he goes through that arc of innocence to conflict to resolution, and be like, okay, this is who I am. I can go with you there. Sure. Let's let's say at that moment. That that evil is done. It's true, or just evil itself is, is, is a slippery concept.、Mm. Speaking of slipping, yeah, I probably、uh, wouldn't use that. But that, that evil, moment but at the end, content. Is, the moment at the end, yeah, is so cool and <laughs> disgusting and miserable because you're right. There's a moment at the end where the, where the tiger, more or less, just he wakes up, feels really good. There's this lady that was nice to him next to him, and there's still the baby. And he just feels nice, and he's like, I, "I just, I really love this person." And then he eats them. There's a line in the end that says, "He, he never felt more full of love." And I was like, "That's also going to stay with me." And I thought, "What is going on here? That the tiger feels so great?" And then it occurred to me that you're right. That it, that is one way of looking at that moment of evil, because at that moment, it's the first time that he is killed or he is eaten and being conscious of what he's doing. And yeah, deliberate. And that probably part of the reason he feels really good is like in this book that I was reading called *The Outsider* by Colin Wilson. He talks about outsiders feeling like the only way to escape their sense of being an outsider is to make a definitive conscious act, and in that act to accept their being. Yeah, the Ziggy they, Stardust of it.、Hmm? The Ziggy Stardust of it. Like David Bowie taking his weirdness and making it a character and a deliberate、oh. choice. Obviously, yes. marginally less evil、uh, than yeah, the yeah, tiger. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But but that's what's evil is that the tiger, in a sense, has lied to himself all story about what his true nature is. And then at the end, rather than looking at his nature and deciding to be something else, he looks at it and takes the easiest choice, perhaps, which is to give into it. Now, that in itself is complicated because is it easy to give into your nature if you don't want to be a, a crazy tiger? I don't know.、Um, But that's where the story ends. So we don't, we don't, we only get to sit with that beautiful. What this story does really well of mixing different poles of being. So we get to sit in that moment where this tiger that we have empathized with and cared about is totally at peace and full of love, and also clearly the worst that he has ever been in the story. I wrote down the last couple of sentences or、right. a couple of sentences from that section. <clears throat> I opened my mouth wide 
and worked my teeth into her soft stomach and pulled up her viscera. She gasped, just once, without even opening her eyes, sharp and sudden, as if she had had just had a wonderful surprise. And then she stopped, never exhaling. And it's got this, well, that contentment that we were talking about, right? And he is projecting all of his contentment into that kind of, that body jerk, that reaction to, to having her intestines gulped out of her. A little story thing that I enjoy is I enjoyed how much, how good the sense of tension was in the story. Oh, like how God, yeah. unsettling and how they moved. And there was just a tiny thing that I just enjoyed on a craft level where he's in, uh, he's gone to sleep in a room and it's dark. And then he wakes up and it's all bright. And he, the the writer describes first <laughs> a, a topless cage, which is clearly a crib, uh, and a baby inside it. But that's not what the tiger noticed first. So already the writer's like, oh, look, over here. Oh, that's not what the important thing is. Now I'll show you what the important thing is. There's the mama and she's worried. And he does a thing where he starts to describe the woman moving across the wall towards the baby. And after she takes a couple of steps, he dips out of describing what's happening and starts describing the way the tiger is thinking about what's happening. Uh, And he does that a few times in the scene where he will start to move the motion and then he will pause. Yeah, it's the master of the the cut between the the points of view almost. A few steps from this person, a few steps from that character change direction what's happening where's the baby what's the you know it's it's all so beautifully worked out logistically like you can see the move around the room and then also you can kind of see the eye lines it becomes like an amazing good the bad and the ugly moment <laughs> where the good the bad and the ugly are now a tiger a mom and a child in a crib one other note about i i realize why he would show us the crib first even though that's not what the tiger is it goes back to that hitchcock thing of like showing us yeah. the bomb that could go off right at the beginning and then getting back to these two people staring off yeah gets he's, it right he's already murdered and look here's a little human cub Thanks for listening, readers. As always, we have probably not managed to talk about every story that you've loved this week or even said all of the things uh, about these stories that you wanted to say. So send us your recommendations on Twitter. All your thoughts. All sorts. Comments. Mm -hmm. Images. GIFs. Of an uncertain nature. (laughs) Um, uh, We are at Storylogical, which is story... Like the word. Oh. Like the letter. And logical. Like Arabidlibottle. <laughs> or Aristotle. No, no, I, specifically his cousin, Arabidlibottle. Uh-huh. He first put forth the notion that we all lived. In a bottle. In a bottle inside the belly of a whale. <laughs> that was itself in a bottle inside a larger whale. It's Bottles and Whales all the way down. Or you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash storylogical, where we pay homage to our overlords, the books and faces. We are supported only by our love for short stories. So if you have enjoyed this, please head on over to iTunes and leave us uh, some of your love there in the shape of stars and even a comment, maybe, as you wish. And if you do not have iTunes... Or even if you do have iTunes, you can always grab the nearest stranger slash person that you actually have a speaking relationship with and mention to them that there is this amazing podcast called Storyological. You can follow him on Twitter 
at Kuvals. You can follow her on Twitter at egkosh. And of course, for uh, show notes, links to past episodes, appropriate and occasionally perhaps inappropriate gifts, you can always find us at our home on the web. Storyological.com. Thanks for listening, readers. Happy reading. I can't decide if I want to talk more about Nine Worlds or about the amazing abortion song in Bojack. I mean... The amazing Bojack Horseman. Right? And the abortions. That's the name (laughs) of their band, the amazing Bojack Horseman and the abortions. I feel like if that band does not exist yet, it soon will do. Slipping. Everything is slipping. Now you just made it pervy and weird. Nice work. All right. Although I should just every single reference today has Thank been you, Dr. Horrible, so I should just default to that. Three, two. Oh, I don't one. know. I don't know it well enough to get all your Doctor Horrible references. <laughs>